First Peter chapter one. I would like to read, beginning in verse 13, the text is on the screen. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which rewards in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. As we began studying this last week, I shared with you that there are two commands, two imperative commands in the reading. And we looked at one of them, fix your hope. That command, that imperative command, which was surrounded by two participles that teach us how to fix our hope on Christ, and that was the need for the preparing of our minds for action, girding up our mind, and then being disciplined and sober in our spirits. We come today to the second command in this section, the second imperative command, and it's found in verse 15. Behold. Behold. And I also want to note with you that there are two participles that surround it. One is found in verse 14 that tell us how to be holy. And the first one is do not be conformed. And the second one, but like the Holy One who called you. And then it takes us to the fact that this is something that is taught in the Scripture, commanded in the Scripture. And so let's continue as if we did take a break last week as we talked about the journey of hope and holiness. And I want to begin by asking you a question this afternoon. What, what is molding your life? When you see your life, what is influencing your life, molding your life, making you who you are? That's a question I hope to answer today. When people interact with you, your neighbors, people on the sidewalk, friends, what do they see in your life? What are you conforming to? You know, there are things that shape us, but what are you conforming to? What is the pattern What is shaping and molding your life? When people interact with you, what do they see? What are you conforming to? Now, what is that? Is that outside the park there? 
Be holy. I am the Lord your God. Over and over again. I'm the Lord your God. Be holy. Do any of us in this room claim that the God of heaven is our God? Do we hear him say, I am the Lord your God? What he said to his people in the Old Testament is the same thing that he is saying to his people today. Be What does it mean to be holy? That's one of those concepts I think sometimes that we struggle to wrap our understanding around. I love what someone shared with me this week as a good definition of holy. I holy belong to God, and He holy belongs to me. And I went holy is not spelled H O L Y. It's W H O L Y. To be holy and approach the deity, I've got to understand that I am set apart for God. And I look at my life and I have dedicated my life to the God of heaven. It's not that I don't have any purpose down here. I do have a purpose. I do have a direction. My life is to be given to the things of God, the things of the kingdom. My life, even though we work a secular job and we do other things in our life, my thinking is that I belong to God. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am set apart for God. You think that way? I mean, let's just all pause. I have really asked myself that question this week. When I view my existence and why I'm here, do I comprehend that I have to be set apart? Dedicated to God, reserved for God and His will and His ways and His service. Do I have the passion that God has? Do I have the mind that God has? Am I set apart? You say, well, how do I get there? How do I get there? Help me. Well, this verse is going to help us. This text is going to share two things that will help us start living as if we're set apart for God. Once again, there are participles. The first one is found in verse 14. Do not be conformed. That's the negative side. The positive side is found in verse 15. 
being like the Holy One to God. Do not be conformed. And so as I look at this verse, I want you to think of this. He wants me to be conformed with the new birth, but not conformed to former lust. And that is why he begins in verse 14 with the little phrase, as what children? As obedient children. Literally, the text says, as children of obedience. And the communication is, is that you were born and the mother was obedience. And you're a child of obedience. And we need to start thinking about it. What do you think? You know, I, I'm coming to understand this more and more as I study the Bible and I live by That God has given us illustrations in this life to teach us eternal spiritual truth. Why did God set up a family? The basic unit of society is the nuclear family. A father and mother and so blessed children, right? I mean, he could have created us all at the same time like he did the angels. Right? But he didn't do that. He gave us the opportunity to have family and children. And I can guarantee you that the passion that Joe and I have as we raise our kids, you know, our last one is running out of action. Last one. But our passion through all their growing up years would be that they would be able to Wasn't that your passion as a parent? I mean, did it please you when you told your children to do something and they disobeyed? Did that make you feel warm and fuzzy? Did it irritate you a little bit? Did it anger you a little bit? Did it make you want to discipline them? And was the discipline because you couldn't stand them? Or was the discipline to apply a little pressure so that they would learn to obey? Rescuing them from the pitfalls of life. So we've experienced this on the human level. Because God wants us to understand that in the new birth experience, obedience brought us forth as children. We've got a new nature. Um, I think of Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 2, which says this that unbelievers are the children of disobedience. In other words, they bear disobedience in their nature. They're characterized by disobedience. And that's how you tell the difference between a true believer and an unbeliever. Now, we as believers don't obey perfectly, do but anything you've been spanked by God? I mean, I've been spanked. I really been spanked. 
but he spanked me, Hebrews tells me, so that I would share in his holiness. But we're no longer children of disobedience. The character of a non-believer is disobedience. The character of a true believer is obedience. And you can almost equate holiness with obedience. Now we don't obey to get saved, okay? None of us are saved by our own obedience. Thank God for that, because there's no way I could get saved. Because God demands a perfect obedience. We are saved because of the obedience of Christ. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the very righteousness of Christ gets put on your account. Listen, I have an account. You want to tally up all my disobedient acts toward God, my disobedient thoughts toward God? Get out a long roll of paper. And it'll stretch probably to the East River and well into Brooklyn and probably out there to that point on Long Island. And a few months here, I'll say, hey, I got a piece of paper here with good judges, disobedient acts and thoughts on it. No, listen, I can't be saved by my own obedience, but thank God I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He took the obedience of Christ and put on my own. And settled for it. But when he settled that for me, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, something took place inside of me. I was giving a new nature, and the old man was conquered. And now I am a child of obedience. And you've got to understand that concept as you approach holiness. Because if you don't think that you're a child of obedience, you'll never pursue holiness. But there's a second thing that's found in that verse that I want you to look at. As an obedient child, do not be conformed to the former lust which rewards in your ignorance. So how do I become more like the character of God? How do I pursue holiness? Stop being conformed to your former lifestyle. Former lust. Make a complete break with your former life. You will never become holy and pursue holiness until you break with the former lust and the former life can't be conformed to it. And you see this illustrated in the book of Leviticus over and over again. Most certainly in chapters 18 and 19, when the Lord comes to them and says, I am the Lord your God, be holy. And then he begins to contrast his assembly of believers with their former life and the unbelievers around them. And he makes a comment in Leviticus 18 that the men of the land have done all these abominations. And they're going into that land and they're going to get it as an inheritance. But the Lord says, I am your people. You're supposed to be holy and stop conforming 
to lusts that are all around you. People that are ignorant of who I am, ignorant of my law, ignorant of my ways. He says, stop conforming to that. Then he goes on and he lists things that are disobedient in his sight. He lists things that are not holy. And he always deals with sexual lust and sexual passion. And he talks about the immoral relationships that the people of the land had, uncovering the nakedness of their mother or the nakedness of their sister or the nakedness of their grandkids or aunts or uncles, having intercourse with their neighbor's wife, homosexuality, bestiality, and then he mentions, you've given, you don't give your children to the God moan, like the heathen around you. Don't sacrifice your children like the heathen around you. And I couldn't help but think of how filthy this nation is. We've not sacrificed the children to the God mother. But we have sacrificed 60 plus million people since 1973 to the God of convenience. And we have seen the murder of the unborn in this nation as if it was a clean thing. And in the eyes of God, it is filth and an abomination. Not a single believer in this place should support any candidate for public office on the local and national level who can endorse the murder of the unborn. It's immoral. Can I get a picture say that? Look at look. This is what it means to be holy. Leviticus 19 speaks of turning to idols, stealing, dealing falsely, lying to one another, oppressing our neighbors, cursing a deaf man, putting a stumbling block before the eyes of the blind, judging our neighbor unfairly. Slandering our neighbors, soothsaying. You know how many soothsaying shops are around New York City? You know what Yes or no? Yeah. They seem to be popping up everything now. Do you think that is old in the sight of God? Absolutely. The harlotry, people that had unjust balances, kids that would curse their father and mother. See, these are disobedient acts. And if you will ever be holy like God wants you to be holy, if I will ever be holy like God wants to be holy, I've got to go into these chapters and see what God says is sin and not right and stop conforming to this. 
See, that's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Truth is not relative. Truth is not relative. You say, Pastor, you need to be more loving. <coughs> well, I would be loving too, but when I read the book, it says speaking the truth in love. You don't give up truth for love. And by the way, you don't give up love for truth. You love all. You honor all. You say, those people that are engaged in all these things, you show respect to them, you show love to them. Because what's your passion? Your passion is seeing God's brothers. Your passion is seeing their kingdom. That's your passion. You see, because you are set apart for God. Are you with me? <coughs> You're going to be whole. You can't be conformed to the world around us. You know that verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 20? It says literally, stop being conformed to what? We're world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove, so that you can demonstrate what the perfect will of God is. So, you know, I had to look very long and hard this past week in my own life. And there are things in my mind that are not pleasing to the Lord. And God just began to pressure me on these things. And said, Bill, do you understand your need to be holy because I'm holy? And that means, Bill, that you're going to have to stop conforming to former lusts that are held by people that are ignorant. Is there a period of your life when you were ignorant of the Lord? Yeah. In your ignorance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, says this. Don't act like the godless heathen who don't know the Lord. And that was in the Bible. How about Ephesians 4, 17? Their minds were darkened, and they were ignorant of the truth of God. You know why people disobey the Lord? Most of them are ignorant. They have no knowledge of God. And why don't they have knowledge of God? They're registered. And I'm thinking the gospel of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 says. You did not learn Christ in this way, and indeed you heard of him and upon him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the seed. And you then renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. Out of this one in Colossians. Don't lie to one another. 
since you've laid aside the old self and you put on the new self. So how do I become older? Stop acting the way you used to act. You're a child of obedience. You're totally different now. Yeah. Well, there's a second problem. Same way that we can be encouraged by to grow in this old age. And it's found in verse 15. So not to be conformed to my former life, my former lust, but I am to be conformed to my calling. Second parcel is the Holy One who loved, who called you. The very calling of God. We have to live in a way that is consistent with the character of God. My friends, God didn't set the standard. He is the standard. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, the Bible says, Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, Be imitators of God, for God is holy and without sin. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, the text says there is no holy one Lord. And I began by reading that text in Leviticus where God says, Those of you that draw near to me, I must be treated God says. Do you see myself? My life is so human. That I have got a very small glimpse of the holiness. Thank God he's a God of grace. Thank God he's a God of mercy. Thank God he's a God of patience. This holy being of glory. Thankful for this verse in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Imagine that. God chose you in Christ before He laid a brick in the That gives me time. He chose me in Him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and righteous before. That's what he told And you go back to the Old Testament. Here again, there's another teaching thought. Why did he select the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why did he select those people? and set them aside from all the people of the earth. Why did he set those people aside to teach us that he has a people that he set aside? And why does he come to that nation and tell them that they're supposed to be holy? Because he's holy. Because his people 
throughout all the ages are supposed to be I am to conform to the character of God, and as I go through that process, I'm going to have to rely on the Lord who sanctifies me. And I'm going to close with that thought here in a few moments. But this text is calling me to be holy in verse 15, all my behavior. And this is where we get in. We want to hold on to things that we know are a part of the old life. The way that the heathen around us who are ignorant of God live. We want to hold on to those things. And yet the call of God in this text is for the people of God to be holy in all their time. Wow, I mean, I, just, I got nailed when I studied it. I get nailed while I teach it. And as I begin to meditate more and more on this concept in the weeks and months and years ahead, God's going to continue to discipline me so that I can share in His holiness. You see, not only is it consistent with the character of God because He's holy. Not only is it to be consistent in all of my behavior, but it's to be this way because it's consistent with what the Word of God has said it is written. I said, Lord, I'm going to have to look this concept of holiness in the New and in the Old Testament. There are nearly 300 references to this word holy in the New Testament. There are over 800 references to holy in the Old Testament. I looked at every single one of those references, and this is what I found. And this is where it becomes profound. And help me in a greater way understand this concept of holiness in my journey. The scriptures are said to be holy. And so now I have a book that's totally set aside, that's distinct from all other books. And indeed it is. It's the only book in human history that has fulfilled prophecy. And it is the prophecy of the Bible where God says in Isaiah, This is how you'll know it's my revelation. God says, I'm going to tell you the end from the beginning. No other God of the nations can do that. And there's no other religious book in human history that does that. The scriptures are holy. And as you get into the scriptures, you discover that God is holy. The phrase, he who is holy. The Lord God, the Almighty, who is holy. The one whose holy habitation is Heaven, the one who has a holy throne and makes holy promises. And then you go to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You're saying, holy, holy, holy. Have you ever wondered why it's the three times? When you look at the Father, he's called the Holy Father. The holy name of the Father. And then you look at the Holy Spirit. 
880 some references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. 240 plus in the New. The word holy is found more times connected with the Spirit of God than it is anything else in life. The Holy Spirit of God. The Father is holy. The Spirit is holy. And then the references to the Holy Servant, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was called the Holy Child at his birth. Throughout his ministry, he was called the Holy and the Righteous One. And over and over again in the Old Testament, I forget what book it is, I think it's like Ezekiel or Jeremiah, as I was looking at all these references, over and over again, you found the expression, the Holy One, the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One. And then you come to the New Testament and you listen to the demons speak. And they point, the demon-filled people point to Christ. And the demons say to those people, we know who you are. The Holy One. Do you understand that Jesus is the Holy and the Righteous One? Holy, Holy, Holy. The very dwelling place of God. The hill of Zion is holy. Jerusalem's called the Holy. City. When God gave his law on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai was called the Holy Mount. Another mountain in the New Testament. The Mount of Transfiguration was called the Holy Mount. The commandments that God gave on Mount Sinai are called Holy Commandments. The law is called the Holy Law of God. The covenant itself is called the Holy Covenant. Now why are all these things designated as holy? You look at the tabernacle and later the temple. And these designations are given to the town of Eden itself. It has a place called the holy place, right? And then there's another room in the house of God that's called the most holy place. And then all of the furniture in God's house, the tabernacle and later the temple, was called holy. The altar on the outside was called holy. The labor was called holy. The table of showbread was called holy. The menorah was called holy. The altar of incense was called holy. The ark of the covenant was called holy. The mercy seat was called holy. Why is Jerusalem and the hill of Zion and the tabernacle and the temple all holy? All of the offerings, all of the offerings were called holy. The holy sin offering, the holy yoke offering. Matter of fact, the word of God said anything that touched the altar was holy. Why? Why would God make heaven and earth in seven, six literal days? And on the seventh day of the week, designate that day, set apart from all the other days. Why did he make a weekly day 
set apart. And then why would God have other Sabbaths that didn't fall on the seventh day? And say that these Sabbaths are holy. Why did he say that the convocations and the gathering of the people together were holy? Why did God do this, my friends? The Bible tells us why. He said, I gave you a weekly reminder of the fact that I'm the God who sanctifies you. You ever thought of the Sabbath that way? I am the one who has set you apart for myself to be holy unto me. Dedicated to me. Dedicated to my kingdom and my will and my work and my character and my mission and my passion. Every firstborn child was dedicated to the Lord and designated as holy. And the firstborn of all your livestock designated as holy. You start to feel something here. Over and over again, I discovered that He's the God of peace who Himself will sanctify you and me. I'm not going to get there on my own. How do you lay aside the woman of us that you had when we were in the world? Can you do it in your own strength? I've been there and tried that. That won't be well done. But I'll tell you, you're sanctified. But fully. You'll start learning in your life, the moments of your temptation to stop and say, Spirit of the living God, I need you right now so that I can be set apart from the living God. And guess what? Jesus is the one who the Bible says that sanctifies his people, who purifies the saints. Again, this. It says that we are sanctified, Jesus says this, by waiting. Aren't you thankful that in the sight of God, you and I are completely set apart for God in Christ? But in fact, Colossians says, he's been made unto us the wisdom of God. The righteousness of God, sanctification, but one of the things in there is sanctification. God sees me as holy because he comes. And he's known as the Holy One. In his humanity, he's known as the Holy One. The righteous one is holy. Now I come to this right point. Just as God set apart the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be his people as a physical illustration that he has a people. Even so, he set apart his assembly of the church. The church is said to be holy. We have a holy all. We've embraced a holy faith. As I think of this effectual call of God in my life that took me out of my old lifestyle and put me in Christ 
I've got to start thinking about it. And that is why he comes and speaks about our holy heart. He says, whatever is holy, think on these things. Struggling with your conduct? Because you're struggling in your thinking. But if you and I will begin to have thoughts up here that are righteous and pure and holy and excellent, you put your mind on these things and you're going to get a lot of deliverance from the passions of your flesh. That's the promise of God. Because what you think about it, you have to do it. You live your life right up here before it's shown in your conduct. He tells us that our bodies get this. Most of the sin we engage in ultimately requires a body, right? Yes or no? Slander somebody involves your what? Your mouth. You thought about it up here before it came out of the mouth, right? Why do you touch this? I don't think about what comes out of my mouth. It involves our body. And because we are in Christ and have been given a new life, the Bible tells us that we are to now begin to present the members of our body as instruments of righteousness that leads to holiness. Our body is the temple. Did you hear that? Our body. And because he dwells within us, he's not dwelling in a tabernacle or a temple made of stone. He gave them all that in the Old Testament to teach the fact that he will dwell in the believer. My body is a temple, and because of that, I am to pursue holiness. I'm to pursue holiness. All of my journey. All of my journey. I am to be holy. I am to be set apart for Him. Dedicated to Him. Letting go of this former lust that I had when I was in your home. The lust that the world that knows not God participated in. I've got a new life and a new conduct. I'm a child of obedience. If you look at that sexual call of God, for some reason this internal community, before he later went into the universe, chose me.
concept of holiness is woven all the way through. Holy days and holy clothes and a holy night feast with all of his marvels. Holy offerings, holy furniture, holy place, a holy city, a holy mountain, a holy commandment, a holy law, a holy tribe of demons. The holy people set apart from all the nations. All of them to teach us in this world that we, as the people of God, can be set apart.